Episode 35 Journey to Argenvastholt Part 1 Hi, this is Dragnacarta, DM for Curse of Strahd, Twice Bitten. You're listening to the Twice Bitten Podcast, a campaign where five Curse of Strahd DMs head back into the mists for a hauntingly familiar adventure. Starring Jack as Betrion, Kaya as Lillison, Linus as Amity, Serena as Kiva, and Twy as Deer. You can catch the horror live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Twitch at twitch.tv slash rcurseofstrahd, or watch new episodes every Monday on YouTube at youtube.com slash c slash rcurseofstrahd. You can also listen to new episodes of this podcast weekly at anchor.fm slash twice-bitten, or wherever you like to syndicate your podcasts. Now, let's get right to Ravenloft. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Curse of Strahd Twice Bitten, the show where five DMs take on D&D's top Gothicara campaign. As always, I'm Dragnacarta, your host and DM, and I don't think we have much to talk about this week, do we? I'm excited to go and do some adventuring, like proper adventurers that we're not. It's gonna be beautiful. Yeah, it'll be a fun time. There's gonna be a dragon in Oh my, at once? I, oh my god. I'm just excited to meet my gay dads. Oh, same, always. Beautiful. All right, well, I will not keep you from them any longer, so let's get started with Curse of Strahd, Twice Bitten. A striking elven female with an almost ritualized poise, Kiva Cyrilai always endeavors to be a level-headed mediator and a soothing presence in the lives of all she meets. Determined to look ever forward, she relies on controlling day-to-day chaos. Anyone who watches her for long enough, however, can clearly see there's something undeniably feral and unpredictable bubbling under the surface. In the company of these fine strangers, he is just Metrion. But across the Sword Coast, he's known as Metrion the Magnificent. He is a tiefling whose body and dress carry the signatures of a nomadic performer, as evidenced by the rougher edges of his costume and his sinewy frame covered in faded tattoos. Though he may not look like a typical magician, rest assured, he cleans up quite handsomely. The well-dressed, well-spoken half-elf who introduced herself as Lilisen has stayed away from the rest of the traveling group during the journey so far. Oh, she's friendly enough if someone strikes up a conversation with her. Charming, even. But left to her own devices, she invariably keeps to herself, and even looks nervous when anyone comes within ten feet of her. Amity a terrifying deviloid with a tail that will knock your drink over if she gets too excited. Even worse, some pig follows her around and eats almost as much as she does. Yet, she's generous and easy to befriend, especially if you get her talking about her book of fables. Just, if she compares you to a fox, it's hard to tell if that's a compliment. Erythrindir is a high elf man who looks perpetually like he's never quite got enough sleep. After his departure from elven society, he found himself out in the wilderness, working as a ranger in the deep, deep woods. However, 
this did little to quell his passion for history, and he's found himself on the road to Neverwinter, hoping to track down a book that might hold the answer to a question he's held for a long, long time. And welcome back. So, last we left off on Twice Bitten. Upon receiving a request from Velaki's new baroness, Lady Fiona Vokter, the companions agreed to investigate the source of recent vampiric killings that had seen several townsfolk dead. To begin their efforts, Metreon and Amity ventured to meet Milivoy, a potential witness and the groundskeeper of St. Andrew's Church, but faced a horrible surprise when a vampire appeared in the night, turning the hunters into the hunted. Luckily, with Kiva leading the others to assist, the companions chased the vampire to an abandoned shack in Velaki's alleyways, revealing its true identity as Father Lucian, the former priest of St. Andrew's Church. Kiva swiftly dispatched it with the sun sword, but Metreon, who had been close with Father Lucian before his death, struggled to overcome his grief. Meanwhile, the very same night, Lillison slipped away from the others to meet with Strahd, who had sought her out for an offer. There, Strahd offered her the secret of vampirism, suggesting that he sought an advisor, and perhaps a successor, that he could view worthy of his blessing. Lillison agreed to file routine reports on her companion's movements with Strahd's servants in exchange for both future communications on the topic and Strahd's promise to deliver her a gift of good faith that Lillison could select at a future date. Upon returning to the Blue Water Inn, Lillison faced fierce suspicion and interrogation from her companions. In response, she revealed the nature of her visit to Strahd, declaring her own mistrust of the vampire's motives. Though some were reluctant, the group agreed that the best path forward involved Lillison making her reports as expected, but coloring the information, holding some back, and providing some unlikely pieces to suit the party's needs. To avoid Strahd's suspicion, the companions, companions devised a scheme in which Lillison would be loudly accused of currying favor with Fiona Vokter in an attempted view of disloyalty. After becoming satisfied that executing had, their plan had worked, Lillison stepped upstairs to the top floor of the Blue Water Inn and issued her first report to Strahd's minion outside. Satisfied with the events of the evening and preparing themselves for a new day in the morning. The companions settled in to rest in their cramped quarters as the Mardikovs around them settled into their own chambers of the inn. The party members prepared themselves for the day to come and the new ventures that they would encounter in the morning hours. And so, Metreon, as you take your rest in the cramped quarters of the Blue Water and you find yourself slowly falling into the darkness of sleep, you're not sure the exact moment when you cross the veil between wakeness and unconsciousness, except that you feel yourself taking a sharp breath, your eyes flickering open, and find yourself standing on the simple stone platform amidst a familiar empty void. You're a faint whispering in the darkness from all around you, and then the shadows seem to twist and contort, 
and form into a silhouette now familiar to you, opposite the platform facing toward you. Well then, says the wounded one, I await your report eagerly. But then again, it has been some time since we have last spoken. So perhaps you shall not have disappointed me this time. Hmm? Perhaps in some manner of speaking, we might see some progress, perhaps. Metrion. A, oh, go on. There's a pause as you feel the entity beneath the cloaked hood gazing toward you expectantly. Uh, Metrion bristles uh, a bit and looking at the silhouette uh, tilts his head in, in, in obedience uh, before turning up uh, well uh, I think I got I think I got everything right so she said uh, she said that when she was well, when she, I guess when she was dead it was all dark and, and she just heard these voices that uh, that was asking her to consent to something uh, she didn't know what though, and uh, but when she did say yes, they all was uh, up joy. Interesting voices in the dark then, and they requested her will. It was not something that was forced upon her. Uh, uh, no. Hmm. Intriguing. That is all then. There is no more that she had to share? No, no, that's it. Hmm. And you are quite confident that there is no more to be gleaned from this one, then? I am. Yeah, I, I, I held my end of the deal. Good. Then you have done well. Or at least as well as can be expected. The fuck is that supposed to mean? It means that it is a pity that there is no way to make further use of you. The fuck are you talking about? Who the fuck are you? Who am I? I am your better boy. I have seen kingdoms rise and fall. I have seen the death of gods. You are little more than an ant, boy. You, well. So you are a string dangling in the breeze. Well. So, what next then, huh? What comes after this? What next? I did what you asked me to. How are you, uh, uh, Undying King? Is that what you're supposed to be called? The figure tilts its head toward you, and you feel the sense of your 
very sense of self being weighed very critically for a moment, sending shudders down your spine. Hmm. Well, what happens next is that all loose ends be tied together. After all, you've proven too incompetent to be trusted with greater tasks, and, well, one makes investments, but such investments must one day be withdrawn. I did what you asked me to, though. You did, and you have given me great value. You should be honored at the glory of assisting one so much greater than yourself, boy. Mitron spits at him, just not even recognizing that this may just be an ethereal figure, but just spits. You spit through the air, and the figure instantly holds up a hand, and the saliva halts in the air, floating there, just faintly bobbing up and down, as if all of its momentum has been arrested for an instant. We had a Um, fucking deal. So we did. You wanted power. I gave you power. I wanted a way out. And I gave you one. It is of no concern to me that you are unable to use it in a timely fashion. Goodbye. Punch. And you watch as a wind dark begins to howl in the air behind it. As the wounded one slowly begins to lift into the air above your head. You watch as the dark cloaked fingers' arms spread wide on either side, the cloak rippling as if beneath a sourceless wind. You feel another cold shudder down the back of your spine. And from behind the wounded one, you see a seam, a white line splitting in the reality of the dark void. And then slowly as it opens, you see behind the wounded one manifesting in the darkness a great hand of rotting green flesh and long spindly fingers, the palm facing away from you into the darkness. You see arcane sigils inscribed in silver across its bony flesh and long elegant script, reminiscent of the tattoos across your body, but in far greater intricacy. Then there is a seam, a flap of flesh across the center of the back of the hand that slowly begins to open. Be grateful, for your spiritual essence shall one day fuel my release from these accursed mists. You watch as a bloated eyeball emerges, embedded from its place at the hand's center. Milky white veins and cataracts twitching and bulging across its surface, its dark amber iris staring deep into your eyes and soul. You feel as your form begins to twist and sear with pain, your edges blurring like shadows as you feel something at your core beginning to rip and tear away from you. The eye continues staring toward you, pitiless, merciless. You feel suddenly the strength go out of you as you collapse to one knee, then a second, and you hear that terrible Ruthless voice cruelly ringing out in the darkness as your vision begins to blur. Goodbye, and be grateful. There is a pause, and then you hear a second voice, a man's, replying, No, he is not yours to take. 
But Metreon, hearing this voice, looks around. Uh, does he see the source of it? You blink, your vision blurring, and then slowly looking up before you, you see interposed between you and the horrible, twisted form of the hand and eye, a man's figure, the silhouette blurred from the harsh radiance of the terrible, bulging cataracts before you. The pan appears unafraid as he stands before you, holding an item up toward the hand that blazes with golden radiance. His clothes are simple, but of a reverence to them. You see white robes and vestments and a familiar golden stole worked with scarlet thread falling over her shoulders. Suddenly, from behind you, blazes a nova of radiant white light, beautiful and blinding like the sun, and the wounded one snarls with a hiss. You dare interfere. I have mocked him as mine. He is mine to take. And you hear the man's voice echo in the void. You have mocked him, but he has not given himself fully yet. Be gone, Shade, and return to your prison. There's a howl of rage, a curse that reverberates through the void. And then the terrible eye blinks. The wounded one twisting like darkness and spiraling shadow the eye suddenly closing as the hand twists and vanishes into the void. And then, for a moment, there is quiet. And you feel the great pressure upon your limbs and body lift. Is it still dark? You can see in the front of you the darkness of the void extending from, but all around where you now stand, illuminating both your own form and the man before you, there's just a beautiful white radiance that has cast a, a soft luminous luminosity across the platform where you stand. Mitrion looks up at it. Uh shielding his eyes a bit given how bright it is and how little sun he's been exposed to uh, and uh, thank you uh, I think the man turns to face you and then slowly gets down on one knee to put a hand on your shoulder you've had a long day I think it is good to see you again Metrion and you see the tired creases of the man's forehead, the kindness of his eyes, the silver of his hair. And you see Father Lucian smiling softly toward you. Uh, Metreon slowly drops his hand as uh, this figure uh, that he recognizes uh, comes into view. And when he says that, he his his mouth is open and slack and his eyes can't help but keep looking into his and he he bends down a bit 
Is it? I'm so sorry. Hush. It's not your fault. Life is full of small darknesses that lurk in the corner of our eyes, and sometimes we can't quite uh, save all that we can, but we can do what we can. Do you understand? I'm trying. I really am. I, but I, I don't think I got. I don't think I got got a grasp of it yet. None of us have all the answers, believe me. I certainly didn't. It's not something that one grasps so easily, I suppose. It's more a matter of doing what best you can for those you can do it for. And sometimes it won't be all that you sought. But the important thing is trying. And from where I stand, and he kind of puts a hand on your cheek and just uh, nods with a gentle fatherly smile. I think you're well on your path to trying. Metreon lets his hand uh, hang there on his cheek. Uh, and as opposed to the usual blubbering uh, that he goes through, he's uncharacteristically composed right now in a way um he, there are some tears kind of very gently falling from his eyes but he can't help but smile a bit looking up at him what's it like <laughs> did you did you feel yourself down there i mean we killed we, we killed you twice. Well, lad. No. You did not kill me. At all. When I died, it was by the hands of a devil, of a man who had chosen demonic paths, of a creature of shadow. It was not by your hand that I died. It was by the choices of another. And I thank you with all my heart for doing what you could on my behalf, even when I was gone. And in case it harms your soul to consider what happened to me afterward, when one is turned, well, perhaps beginning earlier, when one lives, the soul and the body are bound as tightly as they can be. They are one, they are a single whole. But when I awoke when my body awoke in the earth and the blood that bond was so much more tenuous for you see when one lives the soul and the body are one but in the cursed realm that this devil dwells in there is a connection, yes, enough to keep one from proceeding, but there is a darkness, there is a weakness. I could see what I did, but as for what made those choices, he smiles and shakes his head. You did me no harm, 
Metreon. You set me free. Uh, at that, uh, his body does a full shudder, and uh, now he begins to blubber <laughs> um, and uh, falls to both knees. Um, I was just trying to get out, you know, and then I didn't expect any of this. I, didn't, I don't know what to do now. I understand. I know that, well, you've had a long and confusing time of it. And from what you've told me, a long and confusing experience before you ever passed through these mists. I truly am sorry, my son, that you've had to endure such things. One could say that it is the way of the world, but that does not make the weight any less to bear. But nonetheless, whatever you choose to do, I want you to know that so long as you act in ways that free others instead of imprison them, so long as your actions bring joy instead of fear. From the look of an outlooker, perhaps not all stories have happy endings, but the way I see it, that is the only happy ending that one could possibly be happy with. I cannot tell you exactly what you must do. Though, of course, there are conversations to be had before we depart. But all I can say is... Well, closes his eyes. If ever you're confused about what to do next, who you are or who you want to be, I want you to know that When you cared for Yeska, my heart was fuller than I ever could have dreamed. It's, it's the least I could do. Sometimes the least that we can do is also the best of us. Good and fighting that good fight does not need to be grand gestures all the time. It can be something as simple as giving a child a token of remembrance. It could be something as simple as reminding oneself of the path that he means to walk. It could be something as simple as freeing another soul from a prison of torment. And unfortunately, there are many souls tormented in a way that they cannot escape. I don't... It's just some kind of way. I want to... I, I see the people here. Us, the ones that I met. There's good people. For the most part. I, I never felt it. I, I ain't never felt it before I got here. But I don't want them to suffer. And I don't want to suffer, obviously. You know, I was, I was, I am scared to, to face him. I know what kind of power he has, what, what he can do. 
and I'm trying to be brave. I really am. I just need some help. He smiles and squeezes your shoulder. Of course. None of us can do what we can in this world without the help of others. And I understand. It is good that you try, that you seek to protect your friends. And I understand completely you seek to avoid suffering for your own so long as it is tempered, I hope, by the desire to ensure that your companions, your loved ones, that innocence around you can continue in their own way. And if it is help that you seek, well, there are powers other than those that sought to consume and imprison you this day. What do I do now? He was he was feeding me stuff, magic, and I uh, I never felt anything like but like it before. It was dark and cold, but it helped when it needed to. And I felt so dirty just being owned by him. I don't want to feel like that anymore. I don't want to feel like that with him, with with straw, with nobody. And you will not have to. When we act, we understand that others might not do as we wish, but we do what we can to help them so that we may all join together and create a better whole than we could apart. And if that is the path you wish to continue to walk, if that is what you wish to do to aid others, to do good, to keep those you love safe, then there is one who I believe might be willing to help. Who? He smiles gently. Why? The one who saved you, of course. Metreon uh, looks around, uh, kind of confused, not sure if he's being literal or just metaphorical. Um, Father Lucian chuckles and then gives you a look. My boy, I know that looks may be deceiving, but allow me to clarify. For I am not the one who saved you. She did. And you hear, and you feel the white radiance brightening around you, and you hear the quiet flapping of feathered wings behind you. He looks up, and to the sound of the flapping wings. You see behind you, hovering above the edge of the platform, a woman, tall and broad-shouldered. It takes a moment for you to realize the scale of her, but she easily exceeds more than twice your height, and her gaze is steely, her posture forceful, but at once kind as well. Her skin's shade is an earthy red, her hair dark and extending far past her shoulders. She wears a white robe that ends just below the hem of her gold-wrought boots, 
and shoulder plates of forged gold, but which burn with a radiance that make clear that they are no mere soft mortals metal. Her wrists and forearms bear golden braces of the same fine material, and in her hand she wields a great sword, wrought of purest platinum, and its hilt resting a diamond that blazes with white light. Behind her stretch two enormous wings of pure white feathers, her eyes pure white lights with neither iris nor pupil to them. She looks down toward you, meeting your eyes. A faint but steely smile upon her lips. I am Kalkdra, and I have come because the lord of the rotted tower does not know the value of that which he was prepared to discard. This one speaks highly of you, and she gestures toward Father Lucian. And so I have come Seeking your aid, freely given. What, what do you need help with? There are those within this domain that we wish to free from their prison in which they dwell. For this purpose, we seek, well, many things. The return of Sanael to Elysium and the excision of the poison from his essence. The freedom of two souls that have suffered apart for long enough. But there are limits to the bounds of our intercession. The host of Elysium cannot move openly through these misty domains or risk the notice of the powers that rule here. Investitures of power, however, can be made. Do you understand? I think I do, yeah. She inclines her head. Understand that I do not wish to bind you. I understand that what you have experienced here might color your impressions. But understand that I am here only to invest in you the might that we require to see our ends wrought in these accursed lands. I'll just... When I... When Ismark and Arena, they saw the sun sword, when they saw the light, I saw how they was reacting and how much that how much that piece of shit keeps it from him she nods well then if you are amenable to such an investiture know this for our purposes the mists that bind must be withdrawn Yet this can be done only through the demise of the one who is bound beneath them above all others. I cannot compel you. It is not my nature to do so. But, as others have vouched, you seem to be one within which others can have faith. So, Metrion, will you accept this task? He... 
looks back at Father Lucian before saying anything, trying to just take him in, uh, and but also uh, to look at his uh, expression to see if he's encouraging or warm or um, anything like that. But uh, seeing him, he'll turn back up to uh, to this figure, and uh, he'll look them in the eyes and he very gently nods uh, like a awestruck child yeah if I can help I can I will Cockadra smiles and reaches a hand forward toward you and as it hovers a few inches away from your chest she pauses and says before this bestowal is made, know this. The Undying King's power may be withdrawn from you, but his marks are beyond my power to remove. He is neither a forgiving master nor gracious in defeat. Be warned that should you ever return to the words of the mists, when your task is complete, the slaves may yet pursue you. Be warned, Petrion, and be ready. be as ready as I can and she nods and with that reaches forward and touches a hand to your chest at once you watch as her fingers blaze with a golden radiance the tongues of fire spreading across you burning around your clothes and your skin coating your hands and torso like fire but you realize that it doesn't burn the flames dance but there is no heat and as they grow brilliant, brighter, somehow more beautiful, you feel something deep within you alight like a candle and then begin to grow joyously fed with this touch of divine radiance until you feel your heart and soul soar with song. And then you feel a hand on your shoulder once more. And you hear Father Lucian's voice. Before you go, if there is one thing that I've learned, is that there is always more work to be done. It may be hard and it may be thankless, but it is never forgotten. So when you go, my son, forget the work of angels, the work of demons. Walk in faith, walk in courage, walk in light, and always ask yourself, what is your work? And how may you see it done? And with that, Kalkadra slowly pulls her hand back, and you feel the touch on your shoulder begin to dissolve into mist, and you fall. The void, the platform, and the light vanishing, proceeding, until there are only the merest twinkles of divine radiance that remain. And you descend not into darkness, but into peaceful, dreamless sleep. elsewhere in a place far away and yet so close as well as Metreon sleeps peacefully to anyone who might watch him 
tiny sparks of golden light, golden light dancing beneath his eyelids. Amity, you find yourself standing alone in a vast darkness that extends seemingly for miles and miles in every direction. And then you blink and you see in the far distance away from you a single place where silvery light that falls from nowhere illuminates a small region upon the ground. What do you do? Um, of course, Amity walks towards that silvery region on the ground. Is it a light cast from above? It does seem to be, though you cannot tell a single source. It falls down as though from a sunbeam, and as you move forward, your steps echoing strangely in the vast darkness, you slowly approach, seeing ultimately beneath the radiance a circle upon the ground, a dais of silver stone, Moving closer, you see, kneeling upon the dais, a knight, entirely covered in plate armor from head to toe, kneeling with a sword in metal scabbard, placed in a metal scabbard. And as you approach closer, you can see that the hilt bears tiny images of intricately carved dragons worked into the metal. The knight is silent and does not acknowledge your approach. Amity kneels on the opposite side of the dais and greets the knight. Um, hello. The knight does not immediately respond, but you hear a faint grinding as the head turns up toward you. Yeah, um, Amity will wait for him to uh, raise his head, I suppose. He does so when you see only darkness beneath the helm, but the knight, whoever they are, does seem to be regarding you. Were you praying? You hear a pause for a moment, and then a grating, rasping voice from behind the helm. This is the vigil until the fight begins anew. Um, oh, what, what fight? The fight with the enemy. For outside the fighting, nothing exists but this. I, I don't see anything that exists. Is, is there someone out there you're fighting? The enemy fights. The enemy seeks victory, but cannot have it. This fight has no victory after all. So looking around, is, is there nothing else? Is it like a completely black void and this light seems to be coming from nowhere? Looking around, there doesn't appear to be anything else in the darkness. There appears to be only the small dais and the knight kneeling upon it. Right. Uh, Amity's going to kneel um, along with the knight. 
just try to sort of uh, copy his posture. Uh, who's the enemy? Should I be worried? There is a moment of pause, and then the knight regards you again. The enemy is the one that fights. But fear not, for the enemy shall neither lose it nor find victory. The fight continues. And then the knight's helm grinds as it slowly turns away from you back to its original position. Alright. <laughs> this knight doesn't seem to be um, very talkative. I suppose Amity will uh, stand up and see that perhaps is, is Truffle following her? Is Truffle behind her or just her? Truffle is not present. Oh, okay. I guess she's going to um, can, can I can I take a look at your sword? It looks nice. The knight doesn't immediately respond. In fact, there are a few uncomfortable moments of silence as the knight continues kneeling face down, the sword held solidly in their gauntlet. And then you hear from around you a hissing voice sounding in the darkness. He can speak no more, for he is bound. Can you not see? The light suddenly flickers, and then you can see emerging from the light, dark chains of shadow, flecked with burning embers that bind the knight's limbs and torso. You trace them with your eyes, following them as they twist and writhe in the light, and follow them to a place where they emerge from the knight's own chest. You blink again, and you see those chains extending from beyond him, like tendrils that wrap and writhe through the air, extending to bind you count 13 shadowed silhouettes behind him. Who are you? Emily steps backward away from him into the darkness. Um, I, I'm not involved in your fight. I, I don't want to be involved. The hissing voice sounds in the darkness again. And it is not the knight's voice. It is a distinct one. And you can hear it tinged with mourning and loss. I fight only for the ones that have been lost. Watch them. Mourn them. You watch as around you, the darkness stirs and then, like the tide before a tsunami, suddenly recedes, replaced by a plateau of endless white. Not stone, not marble, it's bone washed out bones of men mixed with the skulls of horses interspersed you see in places with ancient arrows and rusted swords and shields a terrible ossuary of a battlefield that extends for miles and miles in every direction and you see above the bone rising a tall dark tower atop which nests an enormous silver white silhouette reptilian in form a great maw that opens before you 
wings spreading far out on either side of it. The earth rumbles and you hear from the silhouette. His strength yet binds them. Free them! The earth below you begins to tremble and quake, bones splintering and cracking as the ground shifts. And for a moment as your heart stops, the night looks up into your eyes, revealing beneath the helm gray, pallid flesh and two crimson eyes that burn with hate. And you awaken to the faint gray light of the Peruvian morning spilling into the dimly lit confines of your chamber. Is anyone else awake yet? You look around for a moment and you see Kiva and Erythrandir are both quietly awake, presumably their trances having finished. Metreon's still fast asleep and the others doing what they will. The morning is quiet and outside you can hear the faint pitter-patter of rainfall on the rooftop and streets beyond. Well, I'm not going to get any more sleep tonight, so Amity sort of begrudgingly rolls out of bed and patters over to the elves. Good morning. See Erythrindir look up from a little little black book that he's been writing in, his face still tired. Morn and lovely. What's got you up so early? Oh, I had another dream. Oh, oh goodness. Uh, I presume not a good one if you're awake at like 4 a.m. It's 4 a.m.? It's not 4 a.m. as such. It's probably closer to 6 or 7 in the morning, but it is relatively early. 6 a.m.? Oh my god. I thought you'd be used to this. Don't you have to get up early to milk the cows or whatever farm things are necessary? I'm I'm used to it. I just... I'm also used to uh, going to bed a little earlier. Okay, that's reasonable. A total amount of sleep. And also when you're not hungover, I presume. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, what was the dream? Um, I don't really understand this one. Uh, and Amity's going to relay the events of the dream to her friends. Yeah. Uh, and I, as she does so, if the others would like to, I would say that if Lillison and Metron would like to awaken as well, it's you could probably hear the conversation. By now, I would say that your long rest comes to an end if you would like it. Metron's going to sleep in a little bit more. All right. Lillison is going to wake up, but pretend she's still asleep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It is the uh, the the elves elves and the storyteller. (laughs) He looks over at Kiva, his eyes kind of bunched into a frown. That... The rotten flat that sounds sort of familiar like you remember that the, the the man on the horse we saw on on the trail or not the living horse the like the the undead what about him that sounds kind of 
the descriptions kind of match. I mean, you know, if we're looking for future, then I think that might. Who knows? But bunch or but let me. I'm sorry. Link at the rest of this, right? You said there was this a dragon, or like a big a, a skeleton of a dragon, or I, I'm. I, I, there's so much happening. I didn't quite catch it. A skeleton, more like if you carved a statue from just a cube of bone. That is unnerving. Really cool, but unnerving. So there's a bunch of knights that that can't abandon their purpose. There's a dragon bone statue, and there's a great enemy they need to fight. That's... I mean, these have been unclear before, but this one's kind of a doozy. The, the only thing I can think is either the, the horse dude you said earlier, or the supposed, um, the, the haunted dragon at that place we're going to. Oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah, that... Well, I mean, I was already thinking that was, pardon me, that that was where we were going. I suppose we should probably listen to fate on this one. But that's a uh, weird. It wasn't like bad though, right? Like a nightmare. It was uh, scary at the end, but nothing bad happened to me. So that's good for the day. Good, good. All right. Well, I suppose that's our next destination then, once we get the old bird and get him on our side. I'll tell you what, I'll want to start working on breakfast, that way we can maybe coax Matreon out of his cocoon. And Lillison, yeah, usually she's up earlier. What are you saying, Linus? Oh, uh, Amity nods and uh, goes down to start flipping some simple pancakes. Yep. Aerith will help. Okay. With that said, the two of you make your way downstairs, finding Danica in the kitchen, and if you'd like, you're able to uh, uh, come together. Erwin joining you a few moments later and begin putting together a, an early morning breakfast. Um, the rest of as, you, as you would like, are able to come awake as you will. Yeah, I was going to say, as... Uh, the two of them start to exit the room. Uh, Metreon's, uh he's been laying flat on his back, uh, princess style, a little bit like Snow White. Uh, but uh, as they leave, his eyes start to flutter open and he smiles, but not in the usual cocky shit-eating way that he usually does, but more of a genuine smile of almost relief as relieved as you can be in Barovia um, but uh, yeah he'll get up uh, he'll put on a shirt uh, and uh, follow the sound of their steps okay as you do uh, you uh, awaken the others from their places sleeping uh, some on the balcony some on the floor of the room um Esmeralda bidding you good morning as Ismark and Irina begin preparing themselves for the day. Uh, downstairs in the kitchen, uh, Danica uh, 
and Erwin turn toward the two of you, uh, Amity and Arthrandir. Erwin looking a bit concerned. So, there was a bit of a... I really don't mean to intrude, but given last night, are you quite sure that everything is all right between you? Is there anything that we could do? Arthrandir, like, is, like, mid-pancake flip, and in, in the distraction of the question, he misses it by an inch. Oh, damn it. Oh, oh. Yeah, no, it's it's fine. We've, uh, we've talked it over. Everything's okay. Oh, well, good to hear then. Um, sorry, do you mind passing me some of the, the, the bowl of flour over there? Oh, yeah, gotcha. And he will slide it over. Many thanks. Well, do you see Matreon coming down? Uh, yeah, I would say Matreon comes down uh, at this point, and as you'd like, if there's anything you'd like to do this morning, today's uh, yeah. yeah, he'll, uh, um, I assume no one's in the actual tap room, so he'll look around and uh, head towards the kitchen and just hang out in the doorway, watching quietly. Anything from Kiva or Lillison? Uh, no, Kiva's just gonna keep an eye on Metreon because he seems a little different this morning, and uh, but otherwise not really engaged. She's just sort of watching him in a very not sneaky way because she's not very good at that. Um, and just sort of keeping an eye on him through breakfast. Lillison is going to wait until everybody else has left the room, and then she's going to rise and very quickly get ready for the day, thinking about everything that she overheard when she was pretending to be asleep. And when she goes downstairs, she tries to see where um, Ismark is. Ismark, uh, you can tell, is uh, sitting, is kind of leaning against one of the windows, occasionally glancing outside, um, and speaking quietly with um, Adrian Mardikov. He greets you with a nod as you approach. Morning. Seems that uh, we've got uh, less than welcoming traveling weather today, yes? Yes, I suppose so. Although, well... Honestly, with all of the cloud cover, I would have expected much worse weather before now. Um, do you have a moment? Of course. Uh, sorry, Adrian, one moment. And he uh, steps aside. Lillison is actually going to walk outside. All right, he'll follow you there, uh, making your way out through the door beneath the uh, overhang of the second floor that covers the space. Uh, before the entrance. Beyond you can see the rivulets of water running down the sides of the uh, inn from the roof above and forming small streams and puddles of mud that run down toward the main street. In the distance you can hear faint thunder rumbling as his mark turns toward you and leans against the uh, side of the stone well just outside of the tap room. What's, so uh, what's going on? Is everything all right? Well, I know last night was a bit of a... Uh, uh, had a bit of a lot going on. Lillison is going to take a moment to see if there are any uh, bats hanging out nearby or any other uh, potential spies. Make a perception check. That is a 14. Looking around, you don't immediately notice anyone that seems to be suspicious. She turns her attention back to Ismark and says, I think... Everything is, if not fine, really, then 
workable for now. There really is no direction to go except forward, really. So it would seem. Uh, I presume that we have uh, a number of places to go forward at the moment, so... I suppose that um, it's better than looking behind us, if nothing else. Hopefully we can get somewhere with all these. Quite true, yes. I was wondering, um, when we first met you, one of the very first instances where we ran into trouble on the road after, you know, the first one. Um, you were amazing with with that sword, really. Where did you learn to fight like that? He chuckles quietly and looks a bit nostalgic. Well, uh, my father taught me, uh, to be perfectly honest. Uh, insisted that it uh, did good for a uh, future burgomaster to do what he could to defend his people. So I learned, I practiced, and eventually I suppose it became a bit more than that. I sought out uh, some uh, assistance from some of the older fighters in the village. There were not many uh, in the village left after uh, well, a lot of what happened, but... In the process, I guess it made me realize how much my people had lost, you know? I wanted to be more. I wanted to keep training, keep fighting, keep preparing myself. I wasn't uh, ready to let my people continue the way that they were. I had noticed that of all of the people that we have seen here in these lands so far, there are far fewer accustomed to um, martial endeavors than I am used to. Is there no school, academy, uh, sword master in these lands at all? <laughs> if there is, it is one that has remained well hidden. Uh, truth be told, Rubia never had much in the face of proper defenses. We had no wall, and, well, the townsfolk, uh, my father and I did our best, uh, my father more than I, to keep them up and together, but that close to Ravenloft, uh, the castle, spirits suffer, he cited. I could not speak to you of Wallachie before coming here, but after looking around... Well, they have the walls, but... I have heard stories of great academies, of militia and armies that fight great wars and uh, go to great distances to fight uh, enemies and conquer lands. Some of the heroes of those tales inspired me when I was young. Rovia, if ever it had a war, it has not seen one in quite a long time. And I suppose um, any local defense only needs to be strong enough to keep back the wolves and other creatures of the forest? He nods, so I would presume 
from what I can tell, a good number of the guards at the gates are, well, young men and women who have uh, had a spear thrust into their hands and been told to make the best of it. I empathize, but truth be told, our peoples do not seem to have very much uh, more that they can do. Lillison nods and glances down. Then she walks over to where the nearest uh, rivulet of rain is uh, streaming down the side of the wall and just stares at the water for a moment. She reaches out and places her fingertip in the water's path and sees how it splits around her fingertip. And she says, Would you perhaps be willing to train me? He blinks. Will, uh, if you would like, I certainly suppose that I would be glad. It it can take a bit of a while to uh, pick up the forms of the sword, and uh, it is a bit of a dying art in Barovia, but... Of course, uh, I'm sure that we had, would have ample time um, uh, while making camp and such things. Is there a particular reason? I had not taken you for um, a woman of the sort. You seem to be uh, quite adept with your own tools. I am not. I could have been. I. We had a, a fencing instructor when... My brothers and I were, well, younger. I did not take to it very well. I was slow and weak, and after we learned, she looks down at the focus, which is back on her hand. It became um, evident that perhaps I should not spend too much time in close quarters in a mindset where I might accidentally wreak too much harm, but this is not a land or a place where it is safe to have weaknesses. He nods at that and then looks quietly thoughtful for a moment. You know how I'd mentioned that Barovia has not had a war in a very long time, yes? Truth be told, it is difficult to wage war against something so great you have no means of fighting it. How do you wage war on a monster older than your people, more powerful than any that have come before it? Though I suppose now I see the answer. He gives you a smile. If you need to take on a force that a simple war is not able to defeat, perhaps you merely need to find more soldiers. And he gives you a nod and a smile. It would be it would be my pleasure to teach you. Thank you. I will warn you right now. I am not going to be a quick study, but. You know, Metrion asked me something last night. He 
asked if Kiva and I had truly erupted into a fight, who would win? And at the moment, there is absolutely no question. The moment that somebody actually gets through any of my defenses and lays a hand on me, I would snap. And I don't want that to always be the case and always rely on evading every time somebody tries to, you know. He nods, stroking his chin. You know, it is funny you should say that. The man that my father learned uh, the blade from, he was an outlander of sorts. Came through from the mists. I do not know what happened to him. But when he spoke of the way with the sword, it always confused me that he said it was... It was not a fight, but a dance. It was a way of being, a way of moving with the blade as though it was your partner of sorts. And I never understood it at first, but in time, the blade, it becomes a part of your body, as though you move with it, like a partner that you wish to lead or guide. And though you might say that you are, that you wish to be, uh, avoid evasion, I think that you might be more temperamentally suited than you might think. And he offers you a small grin. If you would like, it would be my pleasure to give you your first lesson uh, this evening. I would like that very much. Thank you. He gives a nod. But of course, was there anything more you wish to discuss? <sighs> Only that you seem much more, if not cheerful, than less stressed these days, and I am very glad for that. <laughs> it is, uh, well, it is not entirely one thing or the other. I must confess that uh, a sister with just uh, memories that may not be her own, or a vampire that seeks to kill us, or worse, friends who I may not be able to protect. It is a bit much, but what keeps me going, I suppose, is well, it has been many years that I have searched for a path that I could take to take on the monster that has tormented my lands and people. And, well, these times are confusing, yes, but I finally feel like I have a way of doing something about it, and with people that I feel confident will fight at my side. I don't know if you would call that cheerful, but I think it's worth smiling about, and he offers you a wink. She smiles back at him and says, I am then glad that you have found your purpose again. Of course. And I am glad that uh, you seem to be finding Bill. Perhaps not purpose, but a better path for yourself. That 
We have yet to see. So. What was for breakfast? I smelled something amazing coming from inside. I think that Amity was making those uh, those circular things that she made uh, that first night. Uh, what, what were they called? Canpakes? Uh, pancakes. Cakes that you make yes, in the Yes, those. Yes. Let us have those. They, those sound very good. I could go for those right now. Good. Let, let's let's go back inside. It's getting quite damp. He chuckles and holds the door open and proceeds inside after you as you return to the tap room. Are there any pancakes left or have you guys eaten them all? <laughs> I think Erythrindir probably made extra to compensate for the many that he dropped when a fit of overenthusiasm trying to flip them. So yes, there are pancakes. Excellent. Lillison will snag a pancake and then go into a corner, as she does. <laughs> as you do, you watch as um, Stefania uh, steps toward the b- the bar and uh, uh, takes a small platter of pancakes on a tray. Do you mind if I uh, take these upstairs? Uh, oh. My... Uh, my father has taken most of his meals up there. It's he'll probably, uh, well, probably best to make sure that he has something to eat as well. Oh, absolutely. Maybe one of us go with you. Kiva says, like, questioning the group. Aerith looks over at her. I think if we're starting that conversation, it might be better to have all of us. Okay. Uh, she'll just go back to eating her pancakes. Yeah, he did. so he turns the other. So twenty minutes. We want to pet up and tell him about the jam. Yeah, give him some time to to digest. I suppose Manuel. We should try to get him this morning so that we can get on the road if it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't like the look of that rain. Okay, so if you at all like, you can take 20 minutes or so to uh, finish your morning meal uh, before proceeding to whatever you decide to do next. Yeah. Uh, I also say, too, that Metreon has been uncharacteristically quiet throughout the morning. He's just been uh, eating, obviously, and uh, watching. Yeah, I would would say that in that 20 minutes, Kiva would probably try to talk to him if he's amenable to it uh yeah i mean uh are you trying to talk to him alone or yeah she's she's a little suspicious so she's like maybe doesn't want to put him on blast in front of everyone if something's actually wrong that he's hiding very well uh yeah i mean he's just sitting down eating so yeah so maybe after after a little bit she'd just come over and just be like can i uh can i talk to you for more Oh, yeah. Yeah, go for it. So once they have a little bit more privacy, um, just say, like, look, I know things were very, very hard yesterday, and um, you just seem... Uh, well, okay, I'm not going to beat around the bush. You seem really okay, and that worries me a little bit because yesterday it was anything but okay, and I just wanted to make sure that you're not trying to, like, put on a front for us or you know, uh, it's okay not to, to be okay. You don't have to pretend or, or anything. Metreon just plants his hand on her shoulder uh, very comfortingly. 
and uh, just gives her a very warm, genuine smile. I'm a good actor, but not that good. Uh, just... I feel like last night I got... Not closure, but... Something else. Something like it. And... I'm just trying to ride this until it stops. So... Uh, enjoy your pancakes. Uh, uh, and... Don't, don't worry about me. Kiva looks almost scared for a moment with this sort of like genuine smile. Um, but then she softens and she sort of pulls Metreon into a, like a one-armed hug, if he'll allow it. Oh yeah, he'll tell, and when you do that, he'll wrap his other arm around you and give you both hands. Look, you know, you're probably the best friend I've ever had. And um, I just, I don't want... Th- I don't really care about anything else, but I, I want your trust and your friendship. And um, I'm just glad you're okay. Because I don't know what I'd do if you weren't. That's sweet of you. When I go deep down inside, I, I feel a little bit the same. It's just taking a little bit getting used to. <laughs> but... Oh no, trust me, you're not the type of person I, I thought I'd be friends with, but I just, um, you mean a lot to me. And I'm, I'm glad you're okay, because you deserve to be happy, however long it lasts. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm happy, but uh, I've made some peace with some things, and, uh, you know, we gotta go, we gotta, we gotta keep going, and, you know, we either get out or die trying. If I die along anyone, I'd be happy it's you. And she just sort of like, you know, give him that like friendly, like kiss on the forehead thing and, and then let him go and go back to, to breakfast. Uh, as she starts to move away, he'll put his hand on her wrist. Hey, uh, we should probably go up and find uh, Davian, yeah? Yeah, I think now's the best chance we'll get, right? Bring the sword with you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He'll let her go. Lilith and uh, Erthundur and Amity, you see, looks like Kiva and Metron getting up. You guys are going to Davian? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Once that 20 minutes is passed, we should go talk to an old guy. Can they go to Davian while Amity does a little uh, seance? Because the seance might take some time. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. All right, are you setting up in here, outside? Where do you want to conduct it? Just in my room at the Blue Water Inn, and it it can be just Amity this time, if no one else wants to. Okay. You know. Is there, like, a benefit to having other people, though, with it? Uh, if it needs to be a level in spell, I need in people participating. Is, okay. is that what you're doing? Like, do you need us for what you have in mind? Uh, I, so I, I, I specifically am thinking about seancing for detect magic here, which oh. means I would not need anyone's help. I'm a powerful female character who doesn't need any magic. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. In that yeah. case, yes. If you'd like, you may go upstairs and conduct a seance. 
uh, while the others make their way to Davian. Yeah. That's amenable to everyone. Also, we have we have the physical gem on us, right? That's a thing. Uh, Irina you do, has it. yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, Irina produces it to you. Here, if you'd prefer to hold it, that might work better. Thank you. I'll take it. And sure then, thing. yeah, head upstairs. Okay. Together, you make your way up to the upper floor of the inn on the opposite side from how you usually pass. Uh, this time... Ascending the balcony, you pass by the uh, long wooden railing carved with raven motifs, the many lanterns illuminating the rafters and casting long shadows along the peaked ceiling before you. As your steps echo together off the wood of the floor, you find yourselves coming to a simple closed door. The same door in which you've, uh, in which you previously uh, kept Victor for a brief time. He takes a deep breath and knocks. There's a pause, and then you hear a gruff, strained voice say, What the fuck do you want? It's the Outsiders. We've we've got some you'd like to see, I think. You think you hear a sigh through the other side. Great. Why don't you fucking come in then? He gives it. He. You see Erythrindir's eyes roll as he turns back to the others for a moment, and then he turns the handle. The handle turns, and you step forward into the smaller room beyond. You see the bed heaped with wolf furs, the tall wardrobe, and the writing desk in a corner, an oil lamp burning low. As you see, just sitting in the chair body turned toward the grey window with the rain streaming down the glass on the outside but had now turned toward you Davian you see his green cloak has been removed and hung over the top of the bed's uh, end of the bedpost uh, you see his long grey white beard uh extended down to his chest and growing a bit unkempt in some places. Uh, you can see beneath it, he, his, where his cloak has been removed, he wears just a simple uh, green-brown tunic. Although he still wears the several rings across his fingers. And he offers you a skeptical look, glancing across your party. All right, then. So it looks like we've got the menagerie coming back. And to have our little chat, eh? Something like that. And right, before- well... I'll offer you a seat, but for it, I only got the one. Nah, it's all right. I'd prefer to stand. And Aerith reaches into his pocket, and as he does, he says, Before I do this, no, this was one with the blood and fear and cunning. Men and women died for this. That being said, and then the gems in his palm. Here you are. Davian begins to snort almost derisively. And then his gaze catches sight of the small glittering pinecone-shaped crystal in your hand that glows with a faint viridian light. He slips open, but no sound comes out for a moment. You hear kind of a strangled 
the back of his throat. You watch as the muscles in his face and chest slowly relax as for a moment you realize that Davian Martikov is absolutely speechless. Aerith is not used to this, but he is going to take advantage of it as he just walks over calmly and places it into his hand. There. No strings, no conditions. But it's yours. Well... He pulls up a hand. Now, with that in mind, would you like to talk? Davian's fingers curl around the gem in his hand, and you notice his shoulders are trembling faintly. Why? Why, why, why the fuck will you get this? This is just a useless fucking gem to you. Why do you even fucking give it to me? You could sell it somewhere. Well, Ooh, we sell it too. Yeah, there is the practical. And also, I can't speak for the others, and I won't, but I know what it's like to have every bit of what you built, your home, stripped away. And I know that having even something tiny to hold on to, to keep going with, is important. That's my reason. I can't tell you theirs, but it's for that. He shakes his head, just a kind of a harsh, soft chuckle that abruptly cuts off, and you realize that there's a stifled sob as you see moisture glittering at the edges of his eyes. Right. Um, he coughs, sounding a bit awkward. Right. Um, here, have a seat on the bed or something. If you want to talk, I'll talk. Yeah, I'll sit down. He glances around to you. All right, well, I see you didn't bring your little prophecy girl with you. She all right? Oh yeah, she's fine. She's communing with the dead to get magic. It's weirded me out, too. <laughs> he shudders and then barks laughter. Fucking communion with the dead. Right. What's more more for the pile? All right, then. So, you come here for a chat, so by all means, let's chat. He nods toward each of you in turn. I'm listening. Aerith looks at the others as if inviting them to speak first. Lillison tips her chin up a little bit, and she says, When we were in your winery the first time, trying to clear out those who had invaded it, the birds in there spoke very, very highly of you. Did they now? I imagine I fed him once or twice. Much more than that was the impression that we gleaned. Hmm. 
He cracks you a grin, sitting back in his chair. Well then, I must say I'm flattered. I praise to be the favorite of a bunch of birds. You catch a small glint in his eye that he recognizes as being a bit facetious with that. So then, is it all that's brought you to me today? You're looking for a fucking uh, bird feeder? Perhaps because the impression that we got was that you also manage to be the purveyor of a great deal of information from your friends in the sky and on the ground. Sorry, could you read that last bit? Uh, starting from where? Uh, just friends. Was that friends on the sky or the ground? Yeah. Gotcha. It raises an eyebrow. Well, friends can come in many places. And friendship can be maintained in many ways. And in times of need, it is good to have many friends who can bring you more information and resources than one may be able to gather on one's own. We wish to be friends with you, as absolutely corny as that sounds. How, how else can we help you and your family? He snorts and then holds up a hand, glancing around uh, the rest of the group to Kiva, Erythrindir, and Metreon. Right. All can appreciate uh, this one, but if you want something from me, tell me and I'll tell you if I can give it to you. I don't need this hoity uh, toity tall talk. But you want. You as a warrior at some point, or at least know how to fight. <laughs> I'm an old man. Why might you think that I know how to fight? I mean, you're an old man in a place that don't have many old people. <laughs> Seems like it's a bit tough out here to survive. If you are of a certain uh, vulnerable age group. Why? And what might you want that fire for, hmm? Well, uh, see, uh, most of us, uh, and he looks over at Kiva, most of us wasn't fighters when we got here, but, uh, but we've had to be. We've had to become them. And, you know, we're not from here, and we're really trying to get out, and we know, what with you being a native and all, I'm sure that you don't, you're not very keen on the, uh, the rulership here either so we're proposing you uh you help us out a bit in whatever way you can right help you out because if I remember correctly some old lady among the uh, Vistani was it Done and told you that um, I'm some kind of 
Fire. Right. And do you want my help to, well, change in leadership? If I were right, I reckon that you're looking for my help to kill the fucker in that castle. You yeah. would be right. Exactly. It's him or us. Either directly or indirectly, there are items we are trying to find that perhaps somebody with eyes all across the land would be able to help us identify where they are. We're not looking for a warm body. We're looking for what you can do. And as my companions have said, that's evidently quite a bit. He pauses for a moment, looking down at the small, glowing, pinecone-shaped gem in his hands, turning it over in his palms. <laughs> you know, when this was stolen, all I could think of was get to see it again. It was my father's before it was mine, and it was his father's and his mother's before that. And now there's not a scrap left. Just a whole bunch of splinters. You know, it's funny. When I wa wanted this, I wanted this back more than anything. Figured that we could get back on with everything. But I reckon that if the devil wanted to tear the damn place down once, his folk would do it again. That much of a second thought. He glances up toward you, his face hard, the tears long since dried. If what you're telling me might be true, then on the one hand, it sounds like an utter fucking suicide mission. But on the other hand, if I, by helping you, have even the slightest chance to end that fucker's tyranny up in that castle. His hands tighten around the gem. Maybe it's time for this old man to stop moping in an inn and go do something before he dies. He squeezes the gem in his hand and gives you a nod. I'll help you. And he glances toward Metreon. But know this, lad. You might call me a fighter, but... And I know my way around a blade and a crossbow. But I've survived this long, unlike many others, because I know where to stick my nose and what to take out of it, and when not to. So if you're asking for me, you're asking for all of me. You're not going to get some gladiator or something like that. You're going to fucking get someone who knows what not to fucking do and knows where to look to know what not to fucking do. You understand? Well, that's Pardon. fine. We don't need us assholes in this group. I'd Yo. take that myself. He grins and it's the first real expression of mirth that you've seen him show yet he nods and tucking away the gemstone in the pocket of his tunic claps his hand and says <laughs> right I suppose that'll do then so what in the blazes do you need my help for I presume you're not marching off to the castle today not that foolish yet we're the reading that we got, the view of the future, had two other items we're looking for. 
One of which we're pretty damn sure we know where it is. The other, less so. We're searching, we're gathering resources, and we're learning as much about the vampire and his, his strengths, his weaknesses, as we can. Right now, that looks like, along with the lovely woman, lovely woman meditating in the next room, recent dream, looks like it's leading us to the old mansion outside of town. He nods, stroking his beard and looking thoughtful. The old place has been gone, lost for a long time. Whatever folk were once there weren't there anymore. But I've heard some th old things about it. Might be interesting to take a gander if you think that there might be something there worth looking into. But I've got a bit of a question. You mentioned two other things. What have you got and what you're looking for? Hmm? God is well. I suppose it's an open secret at this point. Well, actually, um, if you don't mind, uh, I think it'd be good if uh, he looks around, looking at the obviously uh, cramped room. If you wouldn't mind, maybe uh, going upstairs with us. Uh, maybe get some of the others, uh, the rest of the family, and all that. He frowns at you. Upstairs, you mean? In the attic. Yes. <laughs> he shrugs. If you look, if you like to, ain't no skin off my back. By all means. Right. Well, uh, I'll meet you up there. And uh, Metron looks at the others. Uh, let's uh, just just trust me on this. All right. Yeah. Of course. And, uh, yeah, he's going to go ahead and try and round up uh, all the Mardikovs and uh, Yeska. Oh, okay. wow, the whole I, gang. Okay, uh, I, it takes a little bit of doing. Uh, some people have, you know, gone about their own thing. You actually take note that um, uh, Elvir and Dag are actually missing. They appear to have gone to run some errands in town. But short of those two, everyone else, you're able to, assuming you're uh, sufficiently insistent, which I imagine you would be, uh, you can gather. You know, he's very persistent. He's also very oh, yeah. uh, you know, charming. And... Yeah. I would say that you can, you know, do so. It takes a good, you know, 10, 15 minutes to sort of round everyone up. But eventually, uh, there is a large group of people uh, clustered upstairs in the stuffy, hay strewn attic above the rest of the inn. And everyone looking, you know, kind of shuffling a bit and looking a bit uncomfortable, uh, but expectant. And, you know, Tanaka coughs and says, Right then, so, uh, what's this about? So this was to uh, continue a point we was trying to make earlier, and uh, I think you need to see it. Uh, and then he turns to Kiva. You mind? Not at all. Uh, she reaches into underneath her cloak and pulls out the, um, the hilt of the sun sword and just, you know, uh, basically sends like rise and shine to it, which I'm assuming is her I'm now making canon as her code word to activate the sun sword <laughs> the um, sun sword responds with a burst of joy and glee and then he bursts into the shining radiant blade casting bright lights and uh, dim shadows across every corner of the attic so this is my, uh, my new friend and uh, it's been quite a help 
so far in dealing with the minor vampire problem that you have here. And we're hoping it continues to be a help as we carry on this mission. Immediately as the sun sword blazes to life, a good half of the group kind of shies away, holding up their hands to block the bright sunlight. Others leaning in and the rest of them all eventually gazing with awe, slight trepidation toward it. Here, Davian mutter, what in the fucking blazes is that? You take a... You take a few hundred candles and toss them into a sword, girl. Uh, well, I certainly didn't. I'm not as uh, magically adept as that, but uh, someone must have, and they intended for this to help. At least that's what Madame Ava said. And like I said, it does a pretty nice job. It's, it's fucking... And then you hear Erwin, it's beautiful. And then he and Davian, uh, their gazes meet, and then each of them grunts, Davian snorting, and, and they break their gazes violently away. Oh. Oh. It, this is what we're fighting for. It's light here. It's, it's not new to us. We, we, we saw it every day when we, was, when we was out of here, and, you know, we took it for granted. But, but if there's a chance that, you know, if we get out of here and we, we do what we are here to do, and maybe you all can have this too. Not the sword, but just, you know, the symbolism. Stefania holds up a hesitant hand. So that's, that's sunlight. That, that's really, that's sunlight. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot more concentrated in here than it is usually on the outside, but it's it's pretty pretty much it. What do you mean? That's what we could see if he was gone. I mean, that's what's that's what's behind them clouds, and from what from what we've heard, uh, they've been around as long as he has, and they haven't parted. So maybe if there's a chance we can part them and, and shine a light at this place, and. You know, that's just a bonus. She glances down at uh, the tiny baby girl in her arms, holds her a bit closer, and then nods, smiling. Right then. And she just quietly regards the sun sword as you watch the baby's eyes in her arms just kind of gently and with great fascination trace the outline of the shimmering blade. Uh... And as uh, as that's going on, uh, Metron will then lean down and just uh, like kneel down at Yeska's eye level height and uh, just just sort of smile at him. Uh, does he is he still wearing that weird creepy mask? Uh, no, he actually is not wearing it. And you notice that he is in fact wearing the holy symbol of Father Lucian around his neck. He looks toward it with his eyes wide, the bright light shimmering in his irises. And he doesn't say anything, but he just smiles softly, sniffling, and then reaches up to wipe his nose. Metreon touches the center of it and uh, sees his black claw just kind of scrape against the surface a bit. You keep taking good care of that, yeah? He shyly nods. 
At this, uh, Davian coughs. Right then, so we've got a hilt with a piece of a fucking sun or star or whatever stuck on the hilt. You said there were two other things you were looking for. What else could you need? Ain't, ain't, ain't this enough? It was enough for the servants. One servant. For the man himself, we might need others. There's a holy symbol of power, I think they said. Something and something of history. There was something that was hidden in the tomb of a guild member. Does that mean anything to any of you? A number of them shake their heads, but you watch as at the first part of what you say, Davian snorts, uh, uh, shaking his head, a holy symbol of great power. Boy, there's only one holy symbol of that kind in Borovia, and ain't nobody fucking knows what it is. Wait, you know about it? What? What is it? Of course I fucking know about it. The holy fucking symbol of fucking Ravenkind. Well, this fucking thing. And ain't nobody seen it for centuries. Well, no one has seen this thing that my good friend here is holding ever, as far as I can tell, so perhaps we might have more of a chance than most. What is it? He raises an eyebrow, exchanging glances with uh, uh, Stefania for a moment, and then looking back toward you. It's an amulet of, of source. At least that's what folks say it is. It's got a big gold fucking red crystal in the center. Folks say it looks like the sun if you look at it just right. So the legend goes, uh, the first one to hold it was a paladin by the name of Lugan Lugdana. The legend says that it was, uh, well, given to her by a giant raven. Or an angel in the form of a giant raven. The stories don't all agree, but hence the name. So the stories go. Lugdana used it to uh, find and destroy nests of, well, vampiric beasts, wherever she could until she died. And well, after she died, that's where the trail goes fucking cold. Nests of vampires. That could be very useful indeed. He shrugs. Like I said, they're mostly stories, but it's a bit of a well, sacred tale to a lot of the folk of this land. Well, we have something of a direct line on that, thanks to a literal gift of prophecy, so if we can track that thing down before we fight him, then, well, seems like it would give us an edge, is to put it conservatively. <laughs> if you could find the fucking holy symbol or even kind, well, suffice it to say that I'd feel a lot less like I'm about to dive into a suicide mission. And at this, he watches Erwin's uh, gaze like kind of glances sharply up toward him, looking slightly confused and uh, hesitant, uh, but then quickly averting his gaze again. Well then. We've got an objective, we've got places to go, and we've got, thanks to my friends here, a hint of what we're fighting for. He looks at the others. When do y'all want to leave? 
No time like the present, I suppose. All right. And thank you, all of you, for this. I know we've abruptly taken you into a confidence we can't really undo, but thank you. Danica smiles and gives you a slightly shaky nod. No need to apologize. I think that I speak for most of us here that we appreciate it more than you can know. What we can do to help, we will. Thank you. Well then. Get your raincoats, lads and lasses. Let's go bring light to this land. Okay. And with that, uh, coming together, you hear the slight sounds of conversation and muffled discussion as the group prepares to exit the attic. And each of you makes your way down into the space below. As they and go... And prepares yourselves for the journey. Mm -hmm. Aerith turns to Metreon and just says... That was a really good idea. Thank you. That was very smart. Yeah, I figured they deserve that. They do. Out of anybody here, they've been gems, all of them. Thanks. Yeah, let's, uh, let's crack on. Okay. And with that, you make your way downstairs to prepare yourselves for the journey to come. And... Mm -hmm that is where we will take our break i just imagine during all of this very heartwarming moment uh, amity in her room just speaking in this like devil tongue <laughs> talking to ghosts tentacles crawling yeah. out of her eyeballs yeah a different kind of heartwarming scene yep oh boy well we have an ally lads and lasses Woo! uh you also have a milestone welcome to level eight motherfuckers yeah, yeah. That's what we wanted. Beautiful. Well, we will be leveling up over the break, I imagine. Speaking of breaks, as always, we will pick this back up in around 15 minutes or so, and we will see you all back here very soon.